My name is Jennifer Kronk from the Assist Learning Podcast. I'm a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. The opinions expressed are those of the individual hosts. Make sure you check out all the other great podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com and get ready because the learning begins in three, two, one. Hey, welcome back. Today I'm talking with Talia Milgram-Ilcott. She's the co-founder and executive director of 100kn10.org. And we're talking about their report that was just published in October 2018 called Teachers at Work, Designing Schools Where Teachers and Students Thrive. You're going to love this one. Lots to learn. Lots to think about. Enjoy. You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now here's Steve with this week's show. Talia Milgram Elcott is the co-founder and executive director for 100K in 10. She is widely recognized for a visionary and innovative approach to tackling large, systematic challenges. At 100K in 10, she's creating a new model for networked, nimble, and iterative collaboration. Under her leadership, 100K in 10, which is focused on training and producing 100,000 STEM teachers in 10 years, is becoming a reality as more than 250 leading organizations from across sectors have come together to make the goal possible by 2021. Talia is a frequent public speaker and moderator focusing on social innovation, science and technology, education, philanthropy, and the tenuous balancing act that is running a startup, being a mother, and trying to have a life. Widely known for her thought leadership, she has been published or profiled in the Washington Post, the Boston Globe, the Smithsonian, CNN Money, and U.S. News & World Report. Talia lives in Brooklyn with her husband and three children. She used to read lots of books and magazines, run, practice yoga, and sit in cafes reading the Sunday Times, and now she plays with Legos, magnetiles, and stuffies, and reads books with pictures, and a, you know, and it's a great trade-off, all things considered. <laughs> so welcome to the show, Talia, and thanks for joining me today. So say hi to everybody. Hi, everybody. So before we talk about uh, um, this report, <laughs> I, I got to ask you, so do you have some favorite Legos or books that the kids just make you read them over uh- and over? <laughs> I uh, we we have definitely favorite Lego structures. We've been building a lot. The kids, I should say, have been uh, building a ton of cities with all different elements in them and mixing them up with uh, marble runs. So we've had these marble runs into into uh, layered layered rooms of castles and uh, and all kinds of crazy things. So that has been amazing. And then books we. We are loving, always love Rosie Revere, Engineer, one of our favorites. And there's this amazing newer book called The Most Magnificent Thing about a little girl and her sidekick, her dog, and her efforts to build him a a sidecar on her scooter. And it goes wrong and wrong and wrong and wrong. (laughs) And she gets super frustrated. And they take a walk and she realizes that parts of everything were quite right. She puts them together. She sees how to do it. And it's not perfect, but it is magnificent. Very cool. Very cool. Sounds like fun. So is it something that uh, you could almost do by memory now, reading the book? Practically, yep. <laughs> and I can, I can picture the uh, all the wrong projects. And then when she explodes, <laughs> yeah, I 
yes, I've read it a few times. Excellent, excellent. I love that. That's that's gonna be one of my one of my favorite memories of reading to my kids and uh, playing the games and stuff like that. Is that there are some books that were read over and over and over again, and I think I could basically almost <laughs> this side of drawing um, the illustrations, I could definitely tell you how the stories went and uh, the outcomes and everything so yeah and sometimes you remember the cadence even more than the particular words right <laughs> yes that's like, even funnier <laughs> just wait it's going to come up one day you're going to be talking about something else and all of a sudden you're going to boy that sounds just like oh yes that's from that story ah start quoting some the children's books. exactly <laughs> I feel like children's books and the score of hamilton <laughs> yeah there you go <laughs> that's funny <laughs> All right, so so let's shift gears and let's talk about 100K and 10, which you're the co-founder of and the uh, and, um, and the executive director of. On the section of the website titled "Our Mission," it says 100K and 10 has experienced significant success to date. Partner organizations are on track to meet the full 100,000 STEM teacher goal by 2021. They have already trained more than 30,000 new excellent STEM teachers in the first four years of the effort and have supported tens of thousands more to improve their skills and stay in the classroom longer. Could you talk a little bit about this achievement and the major obstacles to producing and keeping STEM teachers? Absolutely. So our partners have actually now update, supported more and to prepare more than 60,000 teachers. Very nice. In the first, uh, six years of this effort and remain on track to hit that 100,000 goal on time. Actually, we're trending between 5 and 10% ahead and have been for the past few years. So this network is delivering on this goal, something that nobody thought was possible when the president put it out there in the first place. So, so real quick, and just real quick, so we can, <laughs> I want to make sure that I, I, it's been six years now, right? That's what you said. And it has uh, been uh, six, <laughs> almost seven years. Gotcha. And, uh, and you're up to 60,000, which is awesome. So, uh, um, so what is, what is one of those uh, obstacles or major barriers kind of stand in the way that you guys are overcoming? So a few years ago, we talked to all of our partners, actually back in 2016, and uh, had them project out it was five years into the effort, and we were um, about to be, you know, look forward to the next five years. And we asked them to tell us how many teachers they thought they'd be able to produce by 2021. And we took those numbers and we looked at their past success at preparing new teachers, and we realized that we were on track to hit this goal on time. And we uh, sort of had a, a, an amazing moment of, of celebration. And then we looked at each other and realized that what we had done was put together this incredible team of people that were bailing out a sinking boat. And that boat was our education system and whether teachers want to come, people want to come teach and stay in teaching. And we were bailing it out. So our partners were in fact preparing enough teachers to stem the tide of the outflow, but we weren't we weren't solving the problem. And if we ever stopped bailing, that boat was going to sink on our watch. And so we had just two choices. We could keep bailing that boat out forever, or we could find the holes and start to fill them. And so we decided to find and fill those holes. And what I mean by that is we decided to figure out exactly the answer to your question. Why is there a teacher shortage? And in particular in STEM, why is it so hard to get and keep great teachers in STEM, all of our kids' schools? And so, and so that's kind of where this report comes in, right? That is exactly. So 
the first thing we did is we realized if we wanted to answer that question, we needed to hear from everyone. We couldn't just talk to our friends. We couldn't just talk even to our network, as diverse as it was with hundreds of organizations from around the country of every type, school districts and schools and uh, universities and museums and government agencies and nonprofits. We couldn't just talk to the folks. We needed to talk to everyone who had a stake in this. So current teachers and people who had left teaching, undergraduates in STEM who were considering teaching and those who wouldn't consider it at all. Principals, people who uh, who advised and supported teachers, mentors, master teachers. We needed to talk to everyone because you can't solve a problem you don't understand. And too often we understand only a small piece of a problem and then try to solve it with that small bit of information, inevitably finding that our solution is missing exactly the thing we didn't know. And that is the thing that, that makes it unproductive. That's the thing that makes it not work. And so we talked to thousands of people and listen to their stories and ask them versions of that question. Why is it so hard to get and keep great teachers, especially in STEM? And we heard from them so many powerful things and distilled them down into about a hundred root causes for why it is hard to get and keep great teachers, especially in STEM. Some of those were pretty obvious, things like salary. Um, and some of them were subtle, like, uh, universities are rated by U.S. News and World Report based on how many of their undergraduates go on to do work in the subjects that they have degrees in. But teaching in STEM does not count as a STEM degree. So universities are penalized for their STEM undergraduates to go to teach. So things that were super obvious, things that were super obscure, all came out through this listening. Uh, and then we, as I said, we had a hundred diverse reasons. And those reasons laddered up into some pretty big themes that we, anyone who spent time thinking about teaching would be familiar with. The prestige of teaching, uh, whether teachers were prepared for the real challenges of their classroom, both pedagogy and content, and culture, whether elementary school teachers in particular had the, the skills they need to support all of the diverse needs of their students, including their STEM skills and STEM knowledge and passion, whether teachers had opportunities for leadership and ongoing growth, whether they had opportunities to fail in the classroom and learn from that, uh, whether the ST and ES STEM were sufficiently valued, the science, tech, and engineering, the traditionally non-graded subjects for most classes, and then whether teachers as master craftspeople had the tools they need, right, because even great craftspeople need great tools. Uh, so whether they had the instructional materials and resources. Those were the big themes that came out of all of that listening and that all that hundred, um, those hundred root causes. What we realized is we needed a way to figure out which of those hundred would be the highest leverage because nobody can take action on a hundred different root causes and actually succeed at solving them. And so we went back to our network again and asked them to help us figure out which of those root causes, if they got better, would make other ones in turn better. We were looking for the places of leverage, things that would be relatively simple to solve and that if solved made lots of other things better. And that's where this report comes in. Because if, after all of that work and all of that listening and the research, what we found were a handful of causes that had outsized impact on making a whole of teaching better. It helped more people to come and want to teach and more of those 
who came want to stay and succeed with their students. And of this handful of things, there was a group that showed up um, bigger than anything else. And that had to do with a work environment for teachers. It turned out that if we could create a more positive work environment for teachers, when you distill those thousands of perspectives, what we found was that if you create a more positive work environment for teachers, more people wanted to teach and more teachers stayed. And that was more powerful as a group than anything else, any of those other hundred root causes. And so one of the things that I want to make sure that I ask right here is because that, that work environment, and I, w I want to make sure that I, um, by the way, for listeners, I'll have links to the, uh, to the report. So as we're talking, you, know, you can go back to my show notes later and you can pull up uh, um, the, uh, um, the link to, it's the title of the report is called Teachers at Work, Designing Schools Where Teachers and Students Thrive. And uh, it, it was just published this October, right? It was just published, hot off the presses. The, uh, and so we have, uh, um, and, and so anything that uh, Talia is referring to, you'll be able to pull up in, inside this report. So, um, you know, one of the things that uh, um, w when we talk about the, the work environment, can you kind of share what they were talking about? I mean, what was there kind of a common theme to what the teachers meant? Yes, there were, there were a few elements that really stood out. And I'll talk about those and I'll kind of zoom out a little bit to give some broader context. So two elements jumped out as super powerful. They have to do with the workday itself. And it was whether teachers have time to collaborate during the school day and whether they have time for professional growth during the school day. And those two things have outsized impact and they are things that schools and principals can do today, right? There are, how do you structure schedules that teachers have time for the very basic opportunities to grow? right, from collaboration and professional development to help teachers succeed, to learn, to improve their work, and to feel connected. Um, those were the two most powerful. And then there was an overarching one, which is that principals tend to not be uh, trained or prepared as managers. But they are often running, you know, good-sized businesses with many employees and complex and diverse needs and stakeholders. And yet they are not often supported to be great at that part of their work. And so the third of these root causes that shows up as super powerful is how we help principals to create supportive environments for the adults in their building. You know, one of the things that, and having, I, w I was a history teacher for nine years and uh, one, of, and I work with teachers now, I was a high school principal also uh, for a bunch of years. And one of the things that I, learned as a teacher, the, the best, the most exciting opportunities I had for teaching were in the last couple of years, I worked in a school where we were in high school, but they brought up concepts of the team from middle school. And so we were teamed in the high school. And so I worked on a, on a team that had uh, a 10th grade team that had an English teacher. I was a history teacher that had a science teacher and had a math teacher. Yes. And yep. it's some of the most powerful teaching I've ever done because we worked together. We were allowed to to change our time around. We had about 110 minutes each period and, uh, and uh, this more time we could dedicate time to the science teacher. We could use the time how we needed to, I, I guess the best way. So it was cool because we had those types of conversations you're talking about, which the, before that I was in isolation. I was by myself in a, you know, in another type of school, another setting. It, I was a history teacher once in a while met with the history department 
And other than that, you know, it's pretty much seeing each other in the hallway in the cafeteria and uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe uh, at, you know, uh, during a break or something. Um, that is such a perfect illustration of what we are describing in here. And uh, your school did that, your former school did that without increasing its budget, without hiring new staff, without reducing the amount of time the kids were receiving instruction in the various subjects, and yet it transformed how you were able to teach. So it is just a perfect illustration of what we believe is possible. The report highlights is existing success stories that people can build off of and adapt to their own environments. And it's a reminder of what we think is almost like the fundamental insight here, which is what we know from Management 101 and from rankings of best businesses to work for globally is that happy employees produce happy products. And that is true if there are widgets you know, on a manufacturing line. How much more true is it that happy teachers will be able to nourish happy and thriving humans. Oh, that's good. And you really think about schools in that way. Yeah, that's a good point because that's, you know, it, it, you would think that it's a normal sort of feeling that, uh, you know, if it's, you know, happy employees, happy, you know, widget makers, happy whatever um, would be the same with teachers. If you have happy teachers, they, they tend to, uh, um, to steal a title from a former education book. You know, if you don't feed them, they eat them. They eat the kids. So, you know, it's... Uh, um, and I think it's something that, uh, you know, comes out in this. It's interesting to, to, to see this with this report about the, the work environment, because anybody who's been a teacher and educator, a, whether it's an assistant principal, you can feel, or a principal, you can feel the difference in an environment in a building when you walk in. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I don't know how to describe it, uh, um, but uh, it, it, you know, there are, you can tell the difference between that happy or that stress-filled type of school and uh and, and so can, i'm sorry go ahead you walk in and you can, no i'm disagreeing you can feel it right away and i and so i was i was wondering you know because one of the things the report does is it's laid out in that it uh towards the end it gives uh you know basically the uh what should you do <laughs> you know what now type thing and yep. when you so go ahead i think that the the first insight here is that we tend to think that schools uh, can either be great for kids or great for the adults. The first thing we want to say is those two things work together. Schools will only be great for kids if they are also great for the grown-up to work there. More Americans go to work at school every day than they go to work anywhere else. It is our rally our biggest employer you know and it's yeah. it, it's funny because in, in many schools in many um, districts many uh, counties many uh, um, town areas whatever however it's broken up in this, that state um, they are the biggest employer next to uh, maybe the you know if they have a military base or if they have a you know some giant yeah. hospital or something that's exactly right and uh, and that is true everywhere, right? It's right. actually, I think, I think schools are a larger employer than the military. It's pretty amazing. And so, yes. And so these two things are not in conflict. We don't choose kids or adults. We don't put kids first or adults first. We need places, as the report says, where both kids 
and adults thrive because kids won't thrive if their teachers aren't thriving. We really care about ensuring that our kids thrive, all of them. They need to be in schools where their teachers are thriving too. And that doesn't mean, um, it doesn't mean something banal, like everyone is cheerful all the time. It means that teachers feel like they're growing, like they're supported to experiment and try things and learn from them, uh, that they have time, as you mentioned, to collaborate with their colleagues and to grow as professionals. Um, those are the qualities of happy work environment that we're looking for. And those are exactly the qualities we want our own children to imbibe from being in school. Right? They can collaborate with others to solve problems, that they can continue to grow and be critical and lifelong learners. These are the same qualities that we need to see in their teachers and we need to be supporting in their teachers. So that's the first thing is to banish any thought that you're choosing between them. It's a, a false dichotomy. Um, then the report is actually talk a block full of what we call do nows and then build. So that literally, if you open it up, there are recommendations for how to address the challenges that we noticed. Um, that you can do tomorrow. And I'll just share a few, just a few examples that are in there also as case studies. But we have um, examples of school calendars that allow for time for peer collaboration. And often it's, it's either cross grade within a subject a subject within a grade. And those are from public schools and public charter schools. We have examples of how you can create master teachers so that more the younger, younger teachers have opportunities to be coached while master teachers have opportunities to increase their impact across multiple classrooms, all within the existing school budget. There's a few of the examples that you can find in the report. Nice. The uh, you know, one of the things before we go any further, who is the report for? Who who do you think is the that that main audience that it's written for? It is written for anyone who has um, the ability to change what happens in a school. So that could be a principal, it could be lead or master teachers, it could be a school district or a charter management organization. It might be a funder or a government agency. It could even be um, professional development organizations that are working to support teachers in schools. And it certainly could be for um, professional development or preparation support for principals themselves. You know, one of the things that I, I want to point out is that it's, you know, it, I, I think it needs to be read by all those groups. I mean, and when we were talking about just a school setting, I think what would be very important would be a leadership team, teachers and the, the administration to sit down and, and do some sort of self-study on their own after they read this to, to understand a little bit about what those, I don't know, those, whether you call it pressure point, you know, and um, in the uh, report you have, you make reference to catalysts that uh, um, can yes. be pushed to cho to change um, the environment. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things that I think that, uh, um, is important because just like we were talking about before, you can feel the difference in a school and sometimes the adults may not be recognizing it. And like, like you also said, it's not, 
one or the other. You know, the teachers, if the teachers are happy, the kids can't be happy or the kids can be happy and the teachers can't. It's it's all of the above. And a big part of what we're talking about here is is that just creating that professional environment where the teachers feel like, uh, would you say, valued? Yes. Valued and uh, supported to grow. That's why this is not a passive, this is not about bringing an apple to your teacher, right? <laughs> right. This is a, not that that's not lovely. This is about creating an environment in which we believe teachers can grow and we support teachers to grow. And then from there, the teachers can create the kind of environment where students can grow. Do you think after uh, looking at the research and the report, what, what's come out of it, that you could kind of give an idea about, I mean, I can't imagine, I, I've, I mean, I, first of all, I was a high school principal and, um, and I focused on trying to make change in buildings and such. And, you know, one of the things that I, I don't think I ever set out, looked in the mirror, um, straightened my tie, looked myself in the eye and said, you know what, today I'm going to uh, just uh, make sure that I, um, you know, don't treat anybody professionally or I'm going to, you know. Um, I think it's so important to call out. Keep going. Say that again. I just think here, this is there's no criticism here of intent. Right. I think that is really, really important. Um, there are, you know, I I, I I fall to my knees with gratitude for the teachers and the principals who are out there day in, day out, teaching our nation's children and mine as well. Right. And who would walk to the end of the earth to help our collective kids thrive. And at the same time, we know that too often those teachers are not supported to do the best work of their lives and that the environments we have created don't encourage teachers to grow or encourage the kind of mindset that would support all of their students to grow. And we need that for everyone. We need teachers who are growing and we need students who can grow and are growing. And there we have we have some beliefs that are getting in the way. We don't actually think of schools as places where adults need to grow if we don't design them that way. We have all kinds of structures that get in the way of um, types of things like calendar and budget uh, to just support the collaboration and professional growth that you and I were just talking about. And we don't often have the kinds of resources, especially for principals, to support these environments. So people are unskilled to do this, even though they want to. Yeah, that's kind of where I was going with that, is that it's, it's like, it seems to be that a lot of times, you know, this type of stuff kind of happens and with no intent, but it's suddenly there. And, you know, the environments, I've, I've worked in both type of environments. I've worked in the ones where you're like, you know feeling good about this i've just been i've been in a discussion where we we talked about uh how um you know these strategies versus these techniques and in referencing this type of professional focus and and you know you're having this interesting discourse about uh the the direction we should go and then i've been in other places where <laughs> you're like you're a little afraid to um that if you uh raise your hand and ask a question that uh, uh it may not be taken as a uh, question it may be taken as a questioning authority <laughs> I, I think that that piece is, is really big. And we talk about that in terms of creating an environment in which people can try new things. 
which means they have to be able to say publicly that the thing they're doing now isn't working as well as they want. Despite their best efforts, it's not working as well as they want. And that they're going to try something new with full faith that it might work, it might not also, and that that's going to be okay. And that we applaud people who innovate or experiment in quest of supporting their students to learn more or to grow more. Well, I know one of the things that I experienced is that when when you're working in an environment where the teachers are working together and they ask each other, that doesn't mean that everybody's happy with each other, far from it, because <laughs> you still have interesting discourse that's going to happen because you have people. It is a small community and people get in arguments with people. But it, when the kids experience seeing the ki- the teachers working together, that the kids are more likely to want to work with them on whatever it is. And and it's amazing how much more you're able to get out um, to get them to put forward. And uh, I think it's a big part of that. I'm so sorry. I'm saying 100%. The things we're describing here that we want for teachers are exactly the qualities of work that are going to be increasingly present for our, our today's students when they go into the workforce, needing to collaborate, to grow, to continue to improve their own skills, to be lifelong learners. Exactly. What we're describing for teachers is exactly what we hope for for students. And we believe that these things are best learned from modeling, right? They will see teachers doing it. They will experience that kind of learning in the classroom and they all be much more prepared. I mean, at schools where teachers are thriving, collaborating, growing, they'll be prepared to do that themselves which is what the economy is going to demand of them. That's excellent. As we're coming, coming into um, closing out here, uh, one of the things I want to ask you is, you know, if, if there's just one thing you wanted um, a reader or a listener to remember about uh, the message from, uh, from this report, Teachers at Work, Designing Schools Where Teachers and Students Thrive, what would that be? What's that, what's that one big thing that you'd want them to, um, and if you say it now, we'll hopefully make them gravitate to go download the, the report. What we want for our students, for our country's children, and for ourselves as professionals, is schools where adults are thriving in service of students thriving. Those two things go together. And if you're looking for a school for your child, if you are looking for a school to work in, if you are looking to helm a school, what you want is to create or look for an environment in which all of the people are growing, are flourishing, that's going to be your best sign. This is a place where you too will flourish, where you can do your best work, whoever you are. That's excellent. That's uh, excellent. Good stuff. So if someone wanted to connect further with you, where would you send them? Check out first our website at 100kin10.org. That's 100kin10.org. And you can always reach us through that by email at info at 100kin10.org. And then you can follow us on Twitter and on Facebook at 100kin10. Excellent. And I'll have those links in my show notes where uh, you can find them, link over to the website, find, as well as Twitter, Facebook, and I'll have the, uh, the, the uh, contact email there as well. Uh, you know, one of the things that I'd like to do before we finish out is I have a couple questions I'd like to finish with. And it goes like this. If you were given the chance to talk with 100 brand new teachers who haven't started teaching yet, what advice would you give them? 
try things, even if they might not work, and share your failures with your students. They're the best way we grow, and they build resilience in from the get-go for you and for them. Bring all of yourself to work. Each of our students is unique, and so are each of our teachers, each of you. And the more of yourself you bring to work, the more opportunities to connect to each one of those kids. Let learning be joyful and fun. It can feel sometimes like there are so many requirements and standards that each moment of your day, each nanosecond has been uh, allotted and uh, spoken for. But the learning that will stay with kids, the stuff they'll remember 20, 30 years later, and that will potentially transform their lives or shift their trajectories are the moments where you're engaging them. So let the learning be joyful and fun. And finally, let students drive the learning wherever possible. Ask questions instead of giving answers. Find and connect to their passions. Students have so much curiosity, so much hope and optimism, and so much that they want to do in the world. The more that you're you're trying to teach connects to what they're already interested in, the more they will soak it in, the more they will own it and run with it. Wherever possible, ask the questions that open up the learning. And that's excellent. Excellent advice. And um, I can't thank you enough because I I know that, you know, it's interesting when you, um, when you're first getting ready to step into the classroom, you you want to be thinking about what is it that uh, is going to help me you know, the most, because there's so much stuff you got going through your head about what you could possibly be doing. <laughs> and, uh, you know, people giving all kinds of different advice and uh, very, very good stuff. So thank you. I love that question. Do you mind if I borrow it and we use it with teachers we talk to? Sure. Go right ahead. Okay. I love it. I'm going to I'm gonna take that down as a, an idea. It's beautiful. Please do. They, uh, um, and so my last question goes like this. Do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If given a chance to say thank you, who would it be? And what would you say? I feel lucky to have had many, many good teachers uh, and to have parents and grandparents, all of whom are educators of one one kind or another on, on both sides. And I think so much of where I am today is because people asked me questions and let me lead on my learning and imagine great things. That's it. When people ask me this question, I often think of Mrs. Maid, my seventh grade English teacher, who had me read The Effect of Gamma Rays on Man in the Moon Marigolds. It was a play, a short play, and was the first time I encountered metaphor in all of its brilliance. A family that's struggling and a girl who is struggling in this family and this man in the moon marigold that's being harmed by gamma rays and realizing that the world was full of metaphors and that there are layers of symbolism. I can remember that moment when she called on me and I, I said, you know, this is, it's, it's, it's all the same, the plant and the girl. Uh, so this is made. Nice. Letting, opening up for me that the world is, is layered with meaning. That's awesome. That's, that's awesome. The, uh, um, it's, it's neat to hear what, uh, impact different, uh, teachers have had on adults at different times in their lives. And that's, that's really cool. Um, that, that idea of opening up a different way of looking at the world and, uh, 
and looking at reading <laughs> as well. Help, help people write. Yeah. Very cool. Well, Talia, thank you so much for talking with me today. Awesome discussion. Teachers at work, designing schools where teachers and students thrive and some incredible lessons to be taught and shared. I encourage everyone to go to, uh, um, to the website. I'll have links for it. At, uh, it's at 100KIN10, right? So 100,000 in 10 years is what it's saying, .org, right? That's it, 100K in 10. And uh, I, I thank you so much and wishing you the very best. Take care. Thank you so much, too. It's really a pleasure to be here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends.